Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. Good morning to you. Great to be with you this morning and to uh, share with you some Advent thoughts. I wonder as we begin whether we've lost the art of waiting, whether we've lost the art of slowing down, stopping, and pausing. Uh, We live in a world of instant, don't we? Instant coffee, instant next day deliveries, Amazon Prime, The cars in front don't move quick enough. My food in the restaurant doesn't come quick enough. The Wi-Fi isn't speedy enough. And the lights in Ammonford Town Centre are very, very slow. We live in a world where everything is just so instant, isn't it? And we come to today, the first Sunday in Advent, where the very meaning of that word is in contrast to that speedy, hurried, rushed life. Advent means stop, slow down, wait, and expect. And that's what we're going to do today, is to stop, slow down, wait, and look ahead. Because I don't think any of us in this room would want December to rush by in a big blur. But it so often does, isn't it? Consumerism and shopping and everything that Christmas is surrounded by these days often takes over. So hopefully, in these uh, next few minutes, we'll get a a chance to slow down. Dishkul, in Welsh, aros. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at different themes of Advent. Uh, the prophet, priest, and king are the headlines we'll be looking at before Christmas. And today we're starting with prophet. Those three amazing names, amazingly fulfilled in the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, our Lord Jesus. Uh, but the tradition of Advent maybe is alien to us, maybe non-conformist, those who don't belong to the uh, established church. What do we connect Advent with? Well, if you ask my kids who have gone out to Sunday school, they'd shout chocolate at you. And the last two days has been all about chocolate. Actually, you can buy these very elaborate Advent calendar these days. And uh, this is layers. Two doors are open already, and they've got Lego in them. But... uh, I suppose Advent has been hijacked in many ways by chocolate, and although that's good as well. But Advent goes deeper than that. The meaning of it goes back centuries. In the fourth century AD, Christians began to mark Advent in many ways. Um, it was a time of fasting. They stopped and fasted. And at the end of the fast, they had a big celebration. Christmas was beginning to form on the 25th of December as the fixed date of remembering Jesus' birth. But these early Christians, they also remembered and celebrated Jesus' ministry and baptism. His baptism, the beginning of his ministry, was the mark of their celebration at the end of Advent. And then we spoke about the established church, the uh, Anglican church. Um, Right now, today, those churches are beginning to light candles, and there's a picture of the very specific candles that they light, uh, different colors um, and in a different order, um, and of course, all culminating on Christmas Day with the final cad- uh, candle being uh, lit. 
But Advent is more than lighting candles and of stopping and waiting and looking forward. It really is a time for us to prime our hearts to treasure Christ, to prime our hearts to treasure Christ. So that's what we want, isn't it? The next few weeks is to get our hearts ready as we look forward to Christmas. To think of that first Christmas, the incarnation, Jesus putting on flesh, that one event on that first day, whatever day that was, probably wasn't the 25th of December. That moment in history was the biggest single moment in the history of the world. It shook the world entirely. Imagine a huge rock being hurled into Llinllechowain Lake, right in the middle, bang. And imagine the ripples going out from that one throw, going out and out and out and on and on and on and on and on to every single corner of that lake. That's what that one moment in history, Jesus putting on flesh, coming to earth as a vulnerable baby did and continues to do. The ripples are still going out. Amazingly, 2,018 years later, those ripples are still to be felt today. So Advent is a time of preparation of the greatest event in human history. And I guess waiting for that time, looking ahead to Jesus putting on flesh, becoming a baby, aligns us with the prophets. And so we're looking at prophets today. They were famously looking ahead to that moment. We're going to look at one of the most famous passages we always read around Christmas time. Uh, We heard of Isaiah earlier on in the service, but Isaiah 9 Verses 1 to 7, if you have a, a church Bible, if, you, if you'd like one, there's some on the uh, welcome desk over there, I'll find it on your phones or whatever. Uh, Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7, and it'll come up behind me as well. He possibly, Isaiah, is one of the greatest prophets. He stands above um, the prophets and has so many prophecies, details of Jesus' birth and his coming to earth. Look at the detail in this reading. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increase their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Beautiful words written a long time ago. 
Specifically, they were written 700 years before Jesus came to earth. 700 years before Jesus came to earth. And just think of those words. How much detail was in that reading? It's quite a thing to think of a guy 700 years before an event happened to be able to write down the very, very detail uh, to exact accurate truth. And so we begin today as we reflect on Advent with our first point is that Isaiah himself waited. Isaiah waited. He longed for the coming Messiah. He longed to see Jesus. In the midst of sadness and gloom and despair and darkness, as we've just read, he longed for Jesus. And they're wonderful promises, aren't they, that he's looking forward to. The greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Imagine the longing in Isaiah's heart. If you read the entire book, and it's a long book of 66 chapters, he lived in a troubled time, but he had this one hope, this one light that he knew would come. The book of Isaiah is often called the fifth gospel. We know the four gospels, don't we? The biographies of Jesus. Maybe you're new to church and exploring Christianity for the first time. Well, those four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the beginning of the New Testament, is a brilliant place to start your search. But Isaiah is often called the fifth gospel because the amount of reference to Jesus in that one book is amazing, is staggering. The great mission of God, uh, the big plan, Jesus coming to earth, the glorious ending is all unfolded in the book of Isaiah. How God will accomplish salvation through the righteous life, the guilty death, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus. It's all there in Isaiah. And amazingly, it's not sort of wishful thinking. It's not one guy. Isaiah was a regular guy. It's not him looking ahead, wishfully hoping that something would happen. Reflect on those uh, words again, if we can have a look at them. The very last verse, verse seven. These words come up. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All these things laid out, all these great plans, are they wishful thinking? No. God's power, God's energy, God's jealousy and zeal are behind this. That's the faith, that's the trust that Isaiah has as he looks forward to the coming of Jesus. So we heard earlier from Sammy, as he uh, read an earlier chapter, chapter six, that Isaiah wrote in the period of King Uzziah. Uh, and we know historically that he lived between 742 and 701 BC. So this is rooted in history, this actual prophecy, as we said, is 700 years old. Imagine that. Somebody write something specific about you 700 years ago, 700 years ago, in the 1300s, um, the castles around us, you know, Dinevor, Drusluin, and all those great castles, they were occupied. Imagine Llewellyn in Llewolaf, Llewellyn the last who was at uh, Dinevor Castle in the 1300s, apparently. Imagine him writing then uh, that in Llanderbier Hall, in 2018, in that seat there, you'll be sitting. 
that's how amazing, that's the span of time we're talking about before uh, Jesus was born. So the very fact it's a prophecy is a thing uh, to marvel at this morning. Isaiah's message, if we look at those wonderful verses that we read, how can you sum it up? What's the one theme that strikes you? Well, it's a message of hope, isn't it? In the midst of doom and darkness, hope shines through. And to get a real grab on how much, um, how unexpected that hope was, we have to look before to chapter 8. And uh, if you've got a Bible in front of you, have a look at uh, the verses just before chapter 9. These are the last verses of chapter 8. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. That was the period of time that Isaiah was living in. It was a time of darkness. And then we turn to chapter 9, and that great word occurs. Nevertheless, nevertheless, even in darkness, nevertheless, there is hope. There'll be no more gloom, he says. No more for those in distress. Nevertheless, it's one of the great turning points of the Bible, isn't it? It's one of the great themes of Christianity that we um, are part of a faith that celebrates a turning point. There is darkness, yes, but there's a turning point. There's another way. There's another way. Doesn't it remind you of those verses in Ephesians, Ephesians 2? Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, gloom, darkness. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. The gloom exists, yes. But, but, the gospel says, but, God says, there is hope, there is mercy, there is forgiveness. Isaiah describes a situation which is beyond hope, but he sees the coming of Savior Jesus as the light, as the great hope. We read in the first verses of chapter 9 of these places that are described as gloomy places. I could make a joke about Kevin Brimbrine, but I won't. Um, Naphtali and Zebulun were two communities we read in two kings that were really in gloomy places. Uh, dark places, they were betrayed. Uh, the Assyrians had carried them off. Whole communities were deported. So they were known by the uh, listeners to Isaiah, to his uh, book. Yeah, it's gloomy, gloomy places. Like maybe we think of Syria today, a really dark place in a place of despair and distress. And then to that place, to Galilee, he promises a new hope. He promises light. Look at these verses. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. A downtrodden community, a forgotten about people, have hope. And God loves to do this, doesn't he? To bring hope to the downcast, to the broken, those who know that they're in need, that they're in a desperate, desperate place. Maybe that's how you're feeling this morning. You, your energy is spent. There's no more to give. You can't go on any further. Maybe you can't face Christmas. Well, God loves to come to us when we're broken, when we're in a desperate state. He comes to the broken, not to the, hum, not to the proud, um, not to the p- 
perfect, but to the humble. That's the type of God he is. And who is this light? What is this light that comes to these uh, downtrodden communities? Well, if you think about what we've read about already, you know, how gloomy it all was. You know, it was an age of military, isn't it? You might think a great army might be on the way. Well, no. It's not a mighty force. It's not unto us an army is given. Unto us a superpower takes over. I love the contrast. Look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born. A son is given. That's staggering, isn't it? An age familiar with war and battles is promised a baby. And that contrast is what Christmas really is as well, isn't it? It's what the coming of Jesus really is. The king of heaven leaving that to become a vulnerable baby. The almighty swaddling himself in vulnerability. The creator becoming created. The giver becoming the gift himself. Uh, Augustine said these words. He was created as a mother of a mother whom he created. He was carried by hands that he had formed. Isn't that staggering? I love being reminded of this every Christmas. That the creator himself was created. And we can add to that, can't we? Add to Augustine's words. Later, he hung on wood that he had made. He was put to death by men that he had formed in their mother's womb. Why did he do this? Because he loved those men. He loved those women. He loves me. He loves you. That's the light that Isaiah is talking about. That's the restoration that Isaiah is talking about. Later on uh, in John, I mentioned the Gospels. Well, John 1, first chapter, John 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In another translation, it says, the darkness has not extinguished it. This light burns, and it burns forever. It's an eternal light. So the first point of Advent is that Isaiah waited, and we're compelled to join with Isaiah to look to Jesus' birth, ponder again at how miraculous that one event was, Jesus coming to earth, into history, and that in itself will deepen our appetite, I think. Pondering on that will deepen our appetite for God and our longing for him. So Isaiah waited, but we wait as well. That's our second point today. We wait. We're in a similar position, I think, to the church back then, Isaiah's church was exiled on the periphery, not really chums with the community. And we stand in an age now where the church is marginalized and on the edge and maybe in dark times in Europe. So his hope is is our hope as well. His gospel is our gospel as well. And so we wait. We don't wait for Jesus to come as a baby, do we? That's happened 2,000 years ago. We wait for the second coming of Jesus. That's also what Advent is about, the second coming of Jesus. It's the last words of the Bible. It's the last words of the Bible. If you look at the culmination of this wonderful life-giving book, Revelation chapter 22 says this, 
He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. The culmination, the result of all this, the big mission plan is that Jesus is coming again. So we stand in a time between two wonderful things, between the coming, the baby, and also the glorious coming of Jesus, ultimately. It's a little bit like standing between two Christmases, really, isn't it? We remember our childhood Christmases, some of us. (laughs) Um, But we also look forward to a glorious Christmas that's coming, a glorious feast that's coming. And it's not only us that's looking forward to this glorious feast. We look uh, to Romans, and we know that the whole earth is looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. Romans 8, 22 talks of this yearning. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So nature is groaning, is looking forward to being restored. And we join with that yearning, don't we? We join with that, that groaning. And that Advent really is that. Let's embrace that groaning, remind each other, yeah, it's not how it's meant to be. This world is broken, as we've said. It is dark, but there's a light that's coming, a glorious light. Uh, the Welsh poet R.S. Thomas once, once put it, the meaning is in the waiting. The meaning is in the waiting. So within Advent, it's not a time of twiddling your thumbs and waiting at the lights in Ammonford Town Centre. It's a time of looking forward, eagerly looking forward. I love uh, the word in Welsh for wait. Discul. Discul. And um, it's used in many different contexts, actually. So discul, edrych mlan, looking forward. But it's also used to, for the word to look. We say in this area, discul aruna, aruna, don't we? So it's also looking at something. And I think in that, there's a truth about Advent. So we, we discul, we wait for Jesus to come, but we also, dishgul, look at Jesus. And maybe in that, there's something of how we should behave as Christians, behave as people looking ahead. To dishgul, to look at Jesus, to wait for him, to look to him, to admire him, to watch him, to gaze at him and be still in his presence. Those moments where we're hurried and rushed doesn't have to be like that. Maybe this Advent, you can begin maybe family devotions. Maybe you pick up where you left off a while ago. Maybe take some time out. Look to him. Gaze at Jesus. If you start, well, you're maybe a, a, a chapter late, but Luke has 24 chapters. I read this this morning. Why don't you read a chapter a day for the 24 days? And by Christmas Day, 25th, you would have had an entire grasp of why Jesus came. By the 24th, 25th day, you'll know what Christmas really is all about. Isaiah says later, blessed are all those who wait for him. Use Advent as a means, as a time of anticipating. And so our final point then, we've seen that Isaiah waited. We are in a a process, a moment of waiting. But also God waits. Our third and final point is that God waits. It's an incredible claim to say that, isn't it? The creator of heaven and earth is waiting. He's waiting for you. 
He's waiting for me. The Bible is a story of how incredibly patient God is from Genesis, from the garden, right through to Revelation. It's a story of him waiting. Adam and Eve disobeyed. They rebelled and God waited. His people, the Israelites, disobeyed. They went their own way many, many times and God waited despite the rebellion. And then Romans, later on, Romans 5, it describes how God has waited. He has waited all this time until just at the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Just at the right time, Jesus came. So God is a long-suffering, a patient God who loves to wait And God longingly waits for you this morning. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you haven't met Jesus for the first time. Well, he's in a position of waiting for you. Waiting for you. Isaiah 40, uh, another prophecy. If you jump ahead to Isaiah 40 and verses 10 to 11, we see a side of God who loves to wait. Part of his nature. See the sovereign Lord comes with power. And he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. This is it, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. It's a beautiful picture of how God loves to carry people close to his heart, like a shepherd. Um, If you're in the farming community, you will know this. Keeping his lambs close to his heart. That's a picture of the good shepherd. And what a picture that is. Almighty God himself longing to gather you up and to carry you through the gloom, through your brokenness, through your struggles. Why wouldn't you want the God of the universe to do that? Why wouldn't you want to be carried by the loving eternal shepherd, the good God. And I love as well, there's two sides to the, uh, the character of God in those verses there. So we see him lovingly carrying, but he's also, in verse 10, a mighty God, a God who rolls up his sleeves, who gets involved. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. This isn't a weak God, a God who we wishfully look to and hope that he might be able to carry us. No, this is a God who gets involved, who gets involved in our situation. And we jump back to Isaiah's ninth chapter where there's that picture of God ultimately getting involved in flesh. And that's our hope. That's our hope this morning as we come to Advent, as we come uh, to looking ahead. In his vulnerability, God rolled up his sleeves as a six pound, seven pound baby, whatever weight he was in that um, manger. He came to asylum-seeking parents in a dangerous part of the world. And that same man vulnerably hung on the cross 33 years later. But as we read, the mighty arm of God accomplished. He rose again. He rose victorious over sin and death. That Jesus, who Isaiah prophesied long ago, is the child 
is the son who is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. We hope that you found today's message useful and challenging. And we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amforchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.